I'm glad that you're with us today. I have an encouragement for you. Got a great message, which I entitled, Victory in Crisis. Victory in Crisis. Now, I feel like I have talked about our current situation, which is kind of the shelter-in-place, coronavirus, COVID-19 scenario. I feel like I've talked about this in every venue until I'm blue in the face. But I realized, along with some of our leaders here, we have not had an opportunity to talk about it as a family. So I figured that while we're all together, why don't we talk about it? And I actually have some encouragements for you about how we can thrive in this time and not struggle as much in this time. But I do want to say this, although I'm going to be focusing on uh, hope, encouragement, optimism, I am not naive. As a matter of fact, I realize and I want to acknowledge that it has been very difficult. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have lost relationships. Some of us have lost family members. So I don't wanna be uh, Pollyanna and overly optimistic without at the same time being realistic that it's been weird. We are now in week nine, I believe, of our church sanctuary being shut down. And what that means is even in my life and the lives of those that work here at the church, everything's been upside down. And it is, I can tell you this, wherever you're at, I can imagine like us, this oddity, has been pushing all of our hot buttons and our trigger points, right? So for me, it's anxiety. Maybe for you, it has been the issues of depression. Maybe it's been loneliness or fear of financial insecurity. I don't know what it is, but man, it has been tough. I am not denying the difficulty. As a matter of fact, I'm calling it what it is. It's a crisis, but, a crisis. but here's what I'm saying, is that in the midst of crisis, we can have a healthier and stronger reality. Are you with me? Let's jump right into this. I'm going to be highlighting out a passage just at the top that maybe you want to turn to if you have a Bible. And that is Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3. I remember growing up and my mom would have this verse taped up in other areas of the house. So for example, I would go into the kitchen and I would open up just trying to get a spice or the sugar or the salt. And right on that door was a three by five card with verses all over the place. I'd go into the bathroom when I was little and there taped on the mirror was a card of a memory verse to remind us about the truth of God. It's pretty awesome. I know she did it for her, but I saw those and it made a difference in my life. Well, this was one of those. And so I'm going to read it to you, Psalm 46, 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Our God is our refuge and our strength, our present help in trouble. What is interesting is if you notice a little bit deeper into that passage, you'll realize this. It says that we will be strong and God is with us even though those bad things keep going on. 
What it does not say is that there is going to be peace because all the difficulty will be removed. It means that there is peace, there is security, there is strength in the midst of the difficulty. I love that because we think about uh, every time something goes down bad, we pray about it and we say, God, why don't you just take it away? And he said, well, I don't need to take it from you if I can take you through it. Well, we're going to talk about that a lot today. Where did this psalmist, the one that wrote those lyrics to that song, to that poem, where did he get that kind of strength? Well, he had what Christians, theologians, the Bible calls faith. Faith is actually just a fancy word for confidence. Confidence in what? Well, actually, it's a question of confidence in whom, right? Because it's not a what, it's a person. It's believing that God is who he says he is and does what he says he does. It is trusting in his nature. It is confidence in the character of God. That's what faith is. Well, this man, as he wrote this, had tremendous confidence that no matter what circumstances looked like, that God was mighty, that God could get him through, that he was a refuge. Well, where in the world did he get faith like that? Where did he get confidence like that? I want more of that, right? You want more of that? I think we all do. So I want to begin our time together by giving you three practical tools. Three practical tools for us to be able to thrive during this time of crisis. I think that God has given us everything we need. Therefore, all three of them are gonna begin with the word keep, K-E-E-P, meaning you already have it. it. The Bible says that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We already have these things, we are not utilizing them. And so especially in times of crisis, we want to use all that God has already given us. So these three things all begin with keep. You ready? If you are interested in taking notes, you might wanna jot these down. There's gonna be three of them. Number one, keep our head in heaven. Keep our head in heaven. What do I mean? I mean that we need to remain focused on Jesus and his reality. That we cannot just allow the news to be our reality all the time. We can't allow our minds to drift to that which is negative all the time. You see, that it's going to be through God's word and reflection on his goodness that we start getting our head back where it needs to be, which was in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Well, you know what? A lot of it is just opening up the Bible and actually going to the stories of God's victory. The Bible is full of stories of God doing extraordinary things. And we're going to talk about some of those today. But just so you write it down, Keep our head in heaven. We don't want to be amongst the swirling waves of the earth when in fact we can keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Number two, keep a steady encouragement stream. Keep a steady encouragement stream. What do I mean? I mean having constantly healthy conversations, having good things flowing into our minds, stuff like, 
Christian podcasts or maybe some good sermons or some worship music playing around your house or in your car. Um, Pastor Ray Johnston from uh, Bayside, Granite Bay, he says this, he calls it our hope quotient. It is the idea that we need to keep encouraged and that is so critical. We need to look for the testimonies of God where he's working and the great things that he's doing. We got to keep our spirits lifted up with encouragement and so we keep a steady encouragement stream. Let me give you the third one here. Keep a consistent prayer life. Keep a consistent prayer life. Paul the Apostle said that we should always pray without ceasing. Well, that, that sounds great. I just think that in times of crisis, whatever we're doing has to be intensified. Uh, we need to know that our God is with us and we need to be with him. It's really interesting because whether we apply it to this situation or any other situation, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. I want you to abide in me. I want you to be with me. For that's how all the life flows. That's how all the resource flows. That's how all the goodness flows. He said, apart from me, meaning disconnected from me, you can do nothing. That even means that apart from him, we cannot thrive in crisis. We need him so desperately. So we need to keep a consistent prayer life. You see, one of our greatest weapons in crisis is prayer, yeah? As a matter of fact, it has always been that way. If you read much of the Old Testament in the Bible, and if you're brand new to Christianity, if you kind of drop your Bible open in the middle, you'll realize some of the stuff deals with more of the ancient world, and some of it deals with the more recent ancient world, right? So you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay? Well, in the Old Testament, God was dealing with Israel, and he had a contract set up with them of blessings and curses. He said, you are my people. If you do what I ask you to do, then I'll be with you and I'll take care of you. If you disobey and go your own way, you're on your own, right? Now, I wanna read probably the most famous passage about that concept to give you an idea that it's always been prayer that was our incredible tool to get through crisis. Let me give you an example. It's in 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 15. That's 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 15. I'm sure that many of you Christians know this one, but I wanna start out with a verse that we rarely mention before we get to the good stuff, right? Here's how it actually starts. God said, when I shut up the heavens so there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or when I send pestilence among my people. This is where we like verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. He was referring to the temple, the, the housing place of the presence of God here on earth. But notice this was the contract. He said, when things go difficult for you, as a matter of fact, God even said, even when I allow things to go difficult for you, and you want to humble yourselves and realign with me, if you would pray to me, 
I will begin to change scenarios. So prayer has always been our greatest tool in times of crisis. And you go, yeah, 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 but that's the Old Testament. That's the old covenant, the old contract, the old way of doing things. Well, man, I have good news for you. We have a new covenant through Jesus Christ, a new agreement where he is going to bless his people as we lean into him. And we actually have a very new kind of prayer contract. Let me tell you how Jesus said it. If you want to turn there, it's in Matthew 6, 7 through 13. Matthew 6, 7 through 13. Here's what Jesus said about prayer, and you'll see how it ties in. Jesus said, when you pray, meaning his followers, us as Christians, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father, this is key, for your Father, meaning God, knows what you need before you ask him. So pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Listen, if you thought the old contract was good, man, this is so much better. Before, they were people talking to a God. Now there are children talking to the Father. Now, this is incredible. This is what Jesus and the Holy Spirit has brought to us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What was the new contract? You're my kids. When you're in trouble, I want you to talk to me. I want you to ask me. And listen to this. If you, if you don't believe that he was serious about that, Luke is kind of the praying gospel. It kind of begins with prayer and ends with prayer. But it's interesting. In Luke eleven nine, 9, Jesus said this, And I tell you, meaning my followers, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. In other words, God is listening to the prayers of his children and he responds. But we also have to realize that just because we Pray doesn't automatically make God a vending machine that this is relational and God's moving a lot of stuff around and sometimes it's a good idea, sometimes it's not a good idea. But interesting, it doesn't always mean that everything comes quickly. Look at Luke 18, 1 and 2, and Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that, quote, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Prayer doesn't always get us out but it always gets us through. Amen? Prayer doesn't always get us out, but it always gets us through. When crisis hits, we pray. It's what Jesus did. Normal crisis didn't seem to phase Jesus very much. He was the one that was asleep in the boat when the terrible storm came on the Sea of Galilee. He was the one that face to face with a governor who could release him, Governor Pilate. He looked him in the face and refused to answer his questions. Jesus was the one that stared down the religious leaders of the time that could wreck his entire world. But there was one time at least that Jesus truly faced a crisis. That was his walk to the cross. He knew what it was gonna mean. He knew how serious it was. He knew how important it was. And as a matter of fact, it began to press down upon his soul. So what did he do in a time of crisis? He grabbed his buddies and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Why is that important? Because that was their prayer spot. In that time of crisis, Jesus prayed three times to the Father, trying to sort it out, and said, Father, can we get out of this? And he heard back from the Father, no, but I can get you through this. How powerful is that? Do you realize that prayer is really how we fix stuff? It's how Christians fix stuff. It's how Christians go to their dad and they say, Dad, would you fix it? This is over my head. You go, well, is it really that practical? Well, it seems to be in Scripture. James 5, 13 through 18, listen to how practical this is. James, one of the pillars of the church, said this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Great. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now you tell me that prayer doesn't matter. God set up a system where prayer does matter. In this time of crisis, prayer matters. Why do you think we keep having prayers in the morning times here at Bridgeway? Why do you think that we have prayer meetings and prayer gatherings and we're constantly talking about praying? Because our Father is hearing us and He's sorting it out. Absolutely prayer matters. In times of crisis, we pray. You see, God is so good at fixing difficult scenarios. He's so good at turning that which is horrific into that which is glorious. He's so good at altering bad situations and making them good. Listen to this. This is how God handles crisis situations. If not for slavery, the Hebrew people wouldn't have been so numerous to be able to walk out of Egypt. If not for the threat of genocide, Esther would never have been able to save the Jews. If not for famine, Ruth and Naomi would never have been honored in Israel. Without religious persecution in the first century AD, Christianity would have never spread the way it did throughout the world. Without mad kings and corrupt governments, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel would not have stories of walking through fire and sleeping among lions untouched. If not for slavery, Joseph would never have been in Egypt. If not for bad stuff, as a matter of fact, most of the miracles that we know and we celebrate in Scripture that Jesus did would never have happened. It took a terrible storm to be quieted by the voice of Jesus. It took 12 years of bleeding to let a woman be freed by touching the hem of his garment. It took a fatal disease or a fatal injury to raise Lazarus, Tabitha, Eutychus, the Shunammite's son, the widow of Zarephath's son, the widow of Nain's son, and Jairus' daughter. 
The man by the pool that Jesus healed that was paralyzed had been there for 38 years. You're telling me that that's not dire circumstances? Of course it was. You can't have a giant killer without a Philistine giant. Without a famine, the prodigal son doesn't end up repenting in a pig pen and going home. Without the sin and spiritual death of mankind, we would have never seen the full extent of God's love where he sent his one and only son to die for the sins of his people. Crisis is real. All I'm telling you is crisis isn't the end of the story. As a matter of fact, God is so good in crisis, he redeems it, he transforms it, and some of the greatest amazing miracle stories we know all began with a crisis. May God's miracles continue to work here, amen? All right, let's keep moving forward. Here's how I see it. I believe that we can leverage this time for greater things, that we have an opportunity here, that, that our world right now is looking for hope. There were so many times but a year ago that no one may have been looking for hope in the same way. This is a door of opportunity. The world around us needs to know that there's something greater than what we're looking at, that there's some type of solution for what we're looking at. They need to know that there's something valuable in this life. This is our opportunity. It is in this time that our busy lives were derailed and shut down. Now God can get our attention. It's in this time that our families, who used to never see each other, are forced to be together. It's in this time that our churches all across the land are coming to us in our homes. It's in this time that our faith is put to the test. This is a limited time opportunity, so what are we going to do with it? Man, I'm not saying... Crisis is good, but I am saying that God is good. Amen? So how do we be the church in a time like this? How do we be Christians? How do we be a congregation in such a weird, bizarre time? Well, I think there's two primary ways. One is that we need to interact like a real family. I think that it's very, very important to two, the two parts that are being the church. One is making sure we're interacting actually like a church family. And we're indeed going to start that series next week about connecting with the church, interacting with the church. We're going to talk about that a ton. But the other way is that we are the salt and light out in our communities. We are the salt and light in the world, shining Jesus wherever we go. Now, as a matter of fact, we've talked quite a bit lately about how to minister to our neighbors and love on strangers during this coronavirus lockdown. That has been on all of our social media. It's been in all of our podcasts. We're talking all the time about how to be that. And we were saying things like buying groceries for those who need it and shopping for those who can't and reaching out to our contacts and encouraging them and praying with people over the phone or online and spreading smiles and joy and being patient when other people are just lashing out because they're freaking out during this time. I mean, we, the list goes on. There are a million ways for us to be the church out into the world. But I do want to take for a moment 
this time, this precious limited time to talk about how can we be a church together? What would it look like in this season? How do we interact during a season like lockdown and shelter in place? Isn't church disrupted right now? Isn't church shut down? No, the church didn't get disrupted. The church didn't get shut down. It's just different. Church is still going. It's going full force. Yes, it looks different. Yes, it is in a form that we aren't used to. And yes, it's hard. But understand this. Since the moment the church was formed in Jesus Christ, it has always morphed. It has always changed. As a matter of fact, the message is the same, but the method is always different. The message is the same, but the method is always different. In other words, maybe in this time we can get some traction off of it, and this is our chance to do church better. There are actually two parts to how God designed Christianity. One is the whole idea of smaller groups for deeper connection, and then the other one is the bigger groups where we can worship God all together and celebrate the goodness of his name. That's always been how it was. Do you realize that in this time, it's becoming more and more abundantly clear every day, right? That what, the smaller groups are opening up before the larger groups. All right, what does that mean for the church? It actually means that our missional communities are smaller groups, are smaller environments that are more intimate. The things that we have really encouraged everyone to be a part of, those are going to open up way before our sanctuary. Right here in the sanctuary, it seats over a thousand people. We're going to be the last ones to open up. This main one that we're so used to, the one that I love so desperately, the one I love walking into and seeing all my friends, it's gonna be the last one, which means that our homes are gonna open first. What that means is that intentional relationships are going to rise, why? Because we are forced to cut out distraction and we are slowed down. In other words, we're going old school, right? The early church met in homes and then they would all go to the temple to pray and praise. Look at, listen to this, Acts 2, 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, that's two different groups, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How is it supposed to be? Temple and houses. How is it today in church? Sanctuary, houses. That's how it's supposed to go. Listen to how Paul described his ministry in Acts 20, 20. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Public and house to house. So Christianity has always had two sides. We have the public gathering, which is our sanctuary, and then we were all supposed to be in smaller gatherings where we could process and do life together. Do you understand in this season, it's going to allow those beautiful connection, intimate moments, deeper relational times in smaller groups way before we get to do the one that we were so used to, which is the big gathering. Man, how awesome would it be to have host homes all throughout our region where we come together with other people in our congregation and watch the service engage, sing together, pray together, 
watch the message together in homes, and then get a chance to chat a little bit afterwards and then dismiss everybody. Man, how awesome would it be to do church together again? This is so exciting. Imagine the what? The engagement, the spiritual growth that can come from that. It'll, it'll get us away from that habit pattern of going into a big environment, observing, and then leaving. It actually puts us into a smaller environment with all the same blessings, but more. You see, God's, God's making the most of this time. We have so many things going on behind the scenes to get ready for you. We always want to make sure that our congregation is healthy and thriving and vibrant. But let me just close with these thoughts. You see, when a car or a truck is stuck in the mud, and this has happened, this doesn't matter if it's in the snow or whatever, your tire will slip and it will slide and it'll just keep spinning until it can grab onto something for traction. But what is the traction? Here's what's intriguing to me. The traction that can get your car out of the mud is what? Rocks, sticks, debris, all the stuff that under any other circumstance you would have avoided. As you're driving down the road, if there's debris in the road, you avoid it. Why? Because you want smooth driving. I don't blame you for that. I want it too. I would not like to have a coronavirus situation. I would love to have smooth driving. We, it would have been so beautiful to just keep on the trajectory we were on. But the very same thing that's in the road that we would have avoided, once it hits and we're stuck in the mud, that is the very same difficulty that gives us traction to get out and to actually move forward. Realistically, this season is hard. I get it. But... We can either let it dominate us or we can master it. There are treasures to be had. There is traction to be had in this time. Do not let it overwhelm you. We can emerge from this season better than we walked into it. I know that is God's intention. And as your pastor, that is my intention for you. As we finish, let me just say this. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness if we are his kids. If you have never got an opportunity to submit your life to the Lord and say, God, I want to connect with you. And this is the time. What a beautiful opportunity in a time of crisis to be able to get traction by reconnecting with your creator, allowing God to come in and rescue you. So when you come out of this on the other side, you are a brand new creation. The Bible says that if you let Jesus be the one to die for your sins, to wash you, to cleanse you, you get to be born again, born into a brand new life. That means you can emerge out of this terrible season, wonderful, brand new, and starting all over again. I'm telling you, it is in the times of crisis, God does the greatest redemption. And this can be your season right here, right now. Church, I'm so happy to be with you. I love being able to come into your homes. I can't wait for the time that we all get to be back here together and see everyone's smiling faces, but there are so many glorious things and treasures between now and then. Let's just not miss it. Let's get that traction and let's move forward. I love you all. Have a wonderful day.